If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 741. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. We're coming here at the last part of November. you got a couple of days left to get my 30% off coupon. It is Cyber Monday. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It's, it's Cyber Monday. So a lot of deals out there still, and of course still a deal at McClanahan Academy. Just use that coupon code Black Friday 2022 You get 30% off. McClanahan Academy courses. That's all the classes, whether they're the bundles, which are already discounted, but you get more classes and a great bang for your buck, or down to the most inexpensive classes, you get 30% off. So Black Friday 2022, that deal is wrapping up very soon. So you want to use it now while you can. You can also get that free class when you enroll 10 Myths of American History. And of course, uh, you can support the show financially by doing that. I give away a lot of free content all year. And it's great to purchase those classes. If you like the podcast, as I've said, you'll love the classes. You can also support the show by going to anchor.fm. You can subscribe there or go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can do it that way. You can also uh, click on the little heart button under this video if you're watching on YouTube. It's a great way to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Leave it that five-star review. Leave a text review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Comment on YouTube. That helps bump the podcast up in the algorithm. Watch it all the way through. At least just put it on double time or something. Let it go all the way through. People, the, lo- the, the longer you listen to it, the more the algorithm at YouTube bumps it up the, the list so people are recommended the show. And if you share it around on social media, let people know you love it. Send me those show requests too. I do appreciate that. All right. So here we are. We're back from Thanksgiving again. Hope you had a great week. Uh, I podcasted once last week. I said I wanted to do it, but it was a crossover event, right? So I did the Abbeville podcast along with this podcast, the same one. I've never done that before, but it was an interesting topic leading into Thanksgiving. So here we are back with new content at Brian McClanahan Show. I'll be doing this for about another three weeks, and then I'll be taking two weeks off for Christmas. So um, we've got about three more weeks of the Brian McClanahan Show. And I want to start this week with a very interesting piece that was in the Washington Post a couple of weeks back. And it's on Ron DeSantis. Now, we've had the election work through. You know, 2020, uh, 2022 election is, is gone through. Uh, we, we now have seen how this all is shaken out. The Republicans are going to control the House of Representatives. We still don't know if they'll get a 50-50 split in the Senate. There is some speculation that if Herschel Walker wins, that Joe Manchin, I've heard this several different places, Joe Manchin could become a Republican, switch sides, which give the Republicans a 51-49 split and would allow them to control the Senate committees. That's the important part about it. It's not necessarily that Manchin's going to vote with the Republicans all the time, because I don't think he will. 
but he's going to caucus with the Republicans and the Republicans would then control the Senate committees. That would be interesting because essentially what would happen there is that the Republicans and the Judiciary Committee would try to block Biden uh, Biden uh, court appointees. And I think that's the most important development that would happen from that. But we'll see. Of course, I was off on my predictions on what would happen, but you can't ever predict anything with the grand old stupid party. But now we're already talking about 2024. The 2024 presidential election season has already started. I mean, Donald Trump has announced that he's going to run for president. He's going to look for the Republican nomination. I can see Trump potentially running third party if he doesn't get the nomination. That's something that nobody is really talking about. I have said that I don't think the Department of Justice is going to indict Trump because I think they want him to create chaos in the Republican Party. This is why Garland appointed a special prosecutor, it's, it's a special investigator, because he doesn't want to indict Trump. Now, if this, if this special counsel does it, if he makes a recommendation, then Garland would do it, I think. But uh, Garland doesn't really want to do it. The Democrats don't want to do it. And they showed in, the, in this last election cycle that they're willing to go out and support Trump-backed candidates in the primaries because they think they're the easiest ones to beat. If Trump is not running, then the, the theory would be that the Republicans would have a better shot at taking the White House. If someone like Ron DeSantis becomes the nominee, and um, he would have a better shot at beating Joe Biden than Donald Trump. I don't know. I, I think Joe Biden actually has a pretty clear path to re-election. I'm going to say that now in 2022. Unless Biden gets sick or something happens where he is, I mean, clearly his he's not mentally sharp anymore. But that doesn't matter to the Democrats. They, they elected a dead guy and also a man in Fetterman that can barely put a sentence together. So it doesn't really matter to the Democrats. They just want D behind their name, and it, it, Joe Biden's fine. Unless something happens to Joe Biden, I think he's the nominee in 2024 for the Democrats. And I think he has a pretty clear shot at, at winning re-election. I told a colleague of mine this the other day, and he was shocked that I said that. But if you look at the way the map is shaking out, the Republicans have to be perfect. And I mean that. They have to win all of the quote-unquote battleground states, which would be states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. They have to win almost all of them. I say all, almost all of them, to ensure that they get the 270 electoral college votes. It's a daunting task for the Republicans. And we know in Arizona, we're going to see a situation again with voting there that's going to be highly suspect. Um, I mean, it was in this cycle. So we know that the Democrats are going to try to pull out all the stops to ensure that they are in a position they're going to win on the quote-unquote national level in 2024. Now, again, if you look at the popular vote, Republicans were, were talking about this. Republicans actually got millions of more popular votes than the, than the Democrats did in 2022. Uh, if you put all the races together and you count all the votes, Republicans had more votes. But we've got such gerrymandered districts um, none of that really matters. And this is something that people have to understand, completely understand. The popular vote doesn't really matter. It's how these states are going to gerrymander their districts. And of course, for something like the electors, then it does matter in those states. But I want to talk about this piece of the Washington Post on Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a good governor, and he should stay that. And I mean that. Ron DeSantis should go through his two terms as governor, and he should stay governor, and then that should be it, unless he wants to run for Congress. But you see, the thing is, Ron DeSantis 
is a career politician now, and he's not going to settle just for being governor of Florida, and that's that. I don't think that governors, that there should be term limits for governors, ever. I think if you get a good governor, that governor should stay. Now, I know that creates corruption and other things. I mean, it could create the potential for that, but the corruption's already there. And so we're going to term limit people out that are good. And governors could have a lot of power in this, in this federal republic. And Ron DeSantis has shown that this is the case. I don't think he would be a good president for a variety of reasons. And this Washington Post article is going to, is going to uh, essentially explain why I don't think he would be a good president. They think he should be a good president. Now, this is when I say it's a Washington Post op-ed, it's actually written by one of the, one of the um, bigwigs at National Review. So he's writing for the Washington Post. But I, I think that Ron DeSantis would make a bad president for the reasons that National Review thinks he would make a good president. The best kind of president we could have would be someone like Rand Paul or someone like Ron Paul, but Ron Paul is uh, is never going to run again. But someone like Rand Paul, someone who is disinterested in the power that the presidency brings, someone who has a foreign policy background that would be in line with a non-interventionist foreign policy. That's the kind of president you want, someone who's not necessarily interested in the culture war or waging the culture war from the center. Because you see, what we're seeing now with the United States is that the culture war from the center is highly destructive for both sides. Ron DeSantis has shown that you can do it at the state level, and it's much more effective. We don't need a governor as president. We don't need someone who views the presidency like a governor would view the executive office. Because the United States presidency was never designed to have that kind of power. But what we have, of course, is a view of the presidency now where the president acts like a governor of 50 states. And it shouldn't be that. We know that if you go through the ratification debates, if you look at the debates in the Philadelphia Convention, you look at all of that. The president's powers would be so circumscribed that you would barely even notice he was there unless it was in foreign policy. And Ron DeSantis' foreign policy is not going to be non-interventionist. Ron DeSantis' foreign policy is going to be very much in line with George W. Bush or more in line with George W. Bush or Joe Biden than an America first, quote-unquote, foreign policy or non-intervention foreign policy. In other words, he's not going to be old right in foreign policy. He's going to be another progressive interventionist. It's clear this is what Ron DeSantis would do. And uh, Ron DeSantis, even though he is, uh, he's got this reputation of being this guy on the far right, is not really that. I mean, if the National Review, if the folks at National Review think he is kind of a centrist candidate, which is what he actually is, people should should take that seriously. So let me go through the, the this uh, particular piece because I found it fascinating. And the title is, DeSantis would pave the way for a post-Trump GOP return to normal. This is Jim Garrity, of course, again, National Review. He is their senior political correspondent, and he's writing for the Washington Post. A return to normal. When the Wash when, when when the National Review says we're going to return to normal, you should pause and think about what that means. So Garrity says if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis runs for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, as many expect after his staggering re-election victory last Tuesday. Plenty of Americans across the partisan divide would have good reason to root for him to win the nomination. Now, again, I think that if 
I, I, I'm going to predict now. If DeSantis wins the nomination, Trump will run third party. And I think Donald Trump will pull enough votes away from DeSantis that Joe Biden wins the election. In fact, I would say that the Democrats are hoping that Donald Trump is going to make it through the primary process or at least maybe even lose there, but then have enough momentum politically to run third party because I think Trump would do it. Trump is an egomaniac and Trump wants to be back in the executive branch. And you've got a lot of people that support Trump that would not support Ron DeSantis for a variety of reasons. Garrity says, that might sound counterintuitive to Democrats who have been fed for the past couple of years on tales of DeSantis's perfidy. But the fact remains, given the bizarre state of American politics during the Trump era, DeSantis would represent a return to normality. Not that DeSantis, as either a presidential nominee or as the 47th president, would always be right, wise, or admired. You might vehemently disagree with much of what he says and does. You might even hate the guy. But DeSantis would be a Republican nominee without Donald Trump's worst and most destructive impulses and habits. The governor certainly doesn't shy from scrap, but he fights for policies not to prosecute vendettas. Having a normal-range Republican leader on the national stage would be a beneficial reset for the entire country. So again, think about what... This is a normal-range Republican. And look, I know a lot of these people, and they've said the exact same things. They want somebody that's quote-unquote normal. It's Ron DeSantis. It's, uh, you know, Ben Sass. It's people like that. They think they're normal, that the, that the Trump-backed people are not normal. Now, in this piece, uh, Garrity makes a statement that uh, people are, are talking about, you know, in different ways. And I'm going to bring that up in a minute here. But they think that people like DeSantis and Ben Sass, or p- take your pick of your governor, of, of a major state are normal Republicans or some type of the establishment people, they're normal. They're just normal Republicans, you know, business-oriented. They might say some things in the culture war. And again, all of that stuff works at the state level. I wish all of that would be scrapped from any kind of federal discourse because it really is not the purview of the federal government. Now, we know that the Democrats won't do that. This is the problem. Because the Democrats will never do that. They're all nationalists. The Democrats believe in a one-size-fits-all policy, and they are ideological, and they're going to force this on you from the top down. Republicans have responded in kind, and I think this is part of the problem with the Republican Party. We know that if the states stand up to the center, the center has no authority. The center, the emperor, has no clothes. When the states actually stand up to it, And the Republicans would be better off to control the Congress. Now, I know that controlling the presidency is important uh, when it comes to judicial appointments, but the Republicans, if they controlled the Congress, could block anything the Democrats want to do from the top down. And they could work a return to federalism. And they they could not agree to have any of the presidents, if it's a Democrat, judicial nominees. They could say no to all of them. Every single one of them. They could say no to every single one of them. They could essentially shut down the federal court system, which is where the Democrats hope always to make the most noise because they know that their legislative agenda is generally unpopular across the United States. But what they're also seeing, the Democrats, is after the Dobbs decision, 
is that Democrat states, you know, states, Democratic states, or even states and Republican states, they can work in the states to get what they want there. And that if you live in these states, your life is unchanged. So there are some things that Democrats are realizing. Democrats like federalism too. The problem is we've been so conditioned to look to the center, and I'm going to talk about this week with another piece on that. We've been so conditioned to look to the center that we think the president has to make all these decisions. The president is not a governor. Garrity says, Trump sees the threat with DeSantis threatening to drag the GOP away from the fever swamps where Trump has flourished. The former president on Thursday declared an all-out war, denouncing DeSantis in, social, in a social media volcanic eruption. When DeSantis launches his presidential candidacy, let's assume it for these purposes, Trump fans and Democrats alike can be counted on to amplify a common barb about DeSantis, that he isn't very smart. The governor apparently lucked into Yale undergrad and Harvard Law School. Those are just two entries and on a sterling resume for a presidential candidate. DeSantis also won a U.S. Navy commission as a Judge Advocate General, or JAG, officer, deployed to Iraq as an advisor to a Navy SEAL commander in support of the SEAL mission in Anbar province, and was awarded the Bronze Star Medal for meritorious service. After leaving the Navy, DeSantis worked as a federal prosecutor, then ran for the U.S. House in 2012 and won, served three terms, ran for governor in 2018, and won again. At 44, he's young enough to be the father of small children and still be in the U.S. Naval Reserve, but he's old enough to have served 10 years in elected office. Not exactly a real estate developer who decided to cap off his career with a stint in the White House. So think about where Garrity is arguing DeSantis is better. He's an insider. He was in the military. Then he ran for Congress. Then he became a governor. He's a lawyer. He's an insider. He's an Ivy Leaguer. He's not a guy that's going to shoot from the hip as a real estate developer and then comes in from the outside and just runs his mouth. DeSantis is polished, and he knows the game from the inside out, and he's going to play by the established rules. Again, DeSantis would make and does make a great governor, but do you want, do Americans, I mean, Americans might want this. They want an insider. The problem is, I don't see people that support Trump supporting something like this ever again. I just don't see it happening. Trump has brought out something in the American public. Now, maybe, you know, 40 years from now, 30 years from now, you might see it. But Trump has brought out something in the American public. It's a dissatisfaction with the status quo and the establishment. DeSantis is establishment. This is what Garrity is making the case for and why he's going to have a hard time, even though they might agree with some of his policies, bringing in the Trump people because Trump is going to paint him as establishment. And he wouldn't be wrong about that. That is exactly what Ron DeSantis is. DeSantis goes along to get along. There's another, you know, he might wage the culture war at times, but you know, if you're interested in things like Confederate memorials, he hasn't really ever tried to block any of the removal of those things. In fact, he's been on board with it. DeSantis is a Hamiltonian. He said it. DeSantis isn't necessarily interested in rocking the boat other than we're going to have clean elections in the state of Florida. We're not going to teach critical race theory, sort of. And I'm going to call out the media when they're not telling the truth, and I'm going to shout them down, just like Trump would do. That's all. DeSantis has that part of it. He's willing to call out the media. And he kept his state open during COVID, for the most part. That's what DeSantis has done. 
Other than that, he's really establishment. In fact, he barely won in 2018 against a guy that should he should have trounced. But this shows you, I mean, Florida has changed a lot just in four years. With the amount of people moving into Florida, it's really changed. In fact, I would say Florida is a solidly red state now. I don't think that you're going to see a Democrat win in that state for a long time because more and more people are moving there, and that's what they're going to want. You're going to see the Deep South, you're going to see these Southern states become more and more red. Now, Georgia is the interesting state because Georgia, with its business environment, draws in a lot of people from all over the United States. So does Florida. But I think... um, when you look at Brian Kemp and what he was able to do, I think it's clear that uh, Georgia is really still a red state, and it still will be a red state, and people will move to Georgia and try to keep it red. So I think you're going to see the South generally stay very red as people from other parts of the United States move to the South. And that's going to be the way. But again, dragging them out of some of these other states is going to make those other states bluer. We're seeing that. And those other states are important for winning presidential elections, which is why I've said I don't think that a Republican can win in the next election cycle, even if DeSantis runs. So Garrity says, as governor, DeSantis took on some gargantuan fights and won, most notably his pandemic policies, reopening society faster and wider than many other states, spurred outrage from liberals who nicknamed him Death Santis. His name seems to invite uh, names, name games, such as Trump's recent desanctimonious. But the governor came out of the pandemic more popular in Florida than when it started. As Americans consider lockdown fallout, including children's learning loss from school closings, the impact of prolonged isolation on mental health, ruined small businesses, etc., governors who quickly reopen their states look increasingly wise. Next to his pandemic policies, DeSantis might be best known for Florida's Parental Rights Act and Education. Parental Rights and Education Act, excuse me. Better known by the name its critics give it, Don't Say Gay Law. Liberals howled that the measure was pure discrimination, targeting teachers and students who wanted to discuss sexual matters openly. But many Florida parents saw it as a common-sense restriction, keeping explicit materials out of elementary school classrooms. Again, he is great at the level of governor, because the governor should have control of schools, not the president. DeSantis soon found himself taking flack from one of his state's biggest businesses, Walt Disney Company, under pressure from employees, openly criticized the parental rights law. The governor clearly sensed that Disney had positioned itself on the unpopular side of a big issue with parents. He vowed to fight back against the woke corporation and successfully pushed for legislation ending Disney's special tax breaks or benefits. As DeSantis pursued other measures to punish the company, according to the Wall Street Journal, Disney decided that keeping quiet would be the better path in dealing with the governor. When push came to shove, the, white, the, the house of mouse backed down. Again, he's talking about a situation with a business in the state of Florida. How is this going to, how is this going to be played out on a, on a bigger stage if DeSantis acts like this as president? Now, I know all the nationalists, there are many of them, would think this is great. We need nationalism from the right. We can do this from the right. But what happens if you keep going with this? Another colleague of mine said we're more likely to get leftist fascism than anything else. And this is exactly what we're seeing. If, if, if the woke group has power, they're going to abuse the other side. We see it over and over and over again. During Trump's presidency, his most ardent defenders excused the president's never-ending circus with the rallying cry, but he fights. That usually meant complaining on Twitter a lot. 
DeSantis doesn't waste time throwing Twitter tantrums, and when he fights, he fights to win. Of course, again, there's a big difference between what Trump had, an institutionalized bureaucracy that was going to push back and the establishment media always working against him, than what he has in Florida. DeSantis has an easier path in Florida as governor. DeSantis is the way for anybody wanting to know how to change America. You change it from the governor's office. That's how you change America, not going from the top down. Underpinning DeSantis's high-profile tangles are the policy goals of a traditional conservative Republican, not the cobbled-together agenda that typified the Trump years. If you haven't heard him campaign for lower taxes, that might be because he's the governor of a state with no income tax. His antipathy for government bureaucracy can be seen as a successful move last year to compel cities and counties to speed up their permitting process for new housing. So he's pro-growth, anti-tax. He's already got a no-tax state, so he's pro-growth. And he doesn't, all this cobble together stuff. Again, what was Trump's problem? Trump invited too many Straussians in, West Coast Straussians, neoconservatives. He had advisors that had all kinds of different agendas. That was his problem. I don't think that Trump really knew what to do once he won the election because there isn't really a group of people like the Democrats have that can just, they have a singular agenda. We're going to have nationalism. We're going to push everything from the top down. Trump was pushing an agenda that didn't really fit with that. And so it was very difficult to do anything. Uh, again, at the governor's level, you can do more of this stuff. On election night, DeSantis boasted that his state is where woke goes to die. The far left would detest that description, but Florida voters overwhelmingly supported him Tuesday. And as the governor loves to note, Americans are flocking to the state where the population is booming and more business applications are filled, I'm sorry, are filed than anywhere else in the nation. Again, people are moving to Florida because of DeSantis. And that's going to change Florida. This is why DeSantis is the best candidate for a governor. If DeSantis, the nominee, became president, Democrats and Republicans would no doubt disagree just as strongly as before. But there would be one big difference. They'd spend more time arguing about policy and what the federal government ought to do and less about whatever crazy thing Trump said or did that day. I disagree. I don't think there isn't, there's going to be much about policy. I think the, the thing that fueled Trump was the media, and they're going to be after DeSantis in the same way. Independents and centrists might find themselves disappointed or irked with the president DeSantis, but they'd be irked with, within normal parameters, not fearing that he'd burn the country down in a fit of rage because he thinks someone wasn't being fair to him. Did Trump really burn the country down, or did the left really burn the country down? This is, a, this is a real question. Trump didn't do anything. The left did. The left burned the country down. They did it. Trump would, it doesn't matter what Trump said, the left was going to take everything he said because they had this strange fascination with Trump. As we call it, it's been called Trump derangement syndrome. They really had a mental illness with Trump. It, I mean, Trump, it didn't matter what Trump did, they were going to burn the country down. As is all too well known, Trump on social media is a taunter, a, a belittler, and a braggart. Compare that with DeSantis's Twitter feed, which might or might not be administered by the governor. It is an anodyne scroll of alerts about the weather, news about Florida government initiatives, and occasional tweets for, of messages from his wife, Casey, on such controversial matters as having a happy and safe Halloween. So DeSantis doesn't go on Twitter and say things. His fascination with Twitter is, is just strange. Again, I... 
you know, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, normal historians, if there are any left, are going to look back at this and say, what is this weird fascination with Twitter? It's a social media platform where people just say something in 140 or 200 characters. It doesn't even mean anything. In some ways, it's the ultimate expression of democracy because anybody can say anything and it can be amplified a million times over by someone who picks it up that has some following. But on the other hand, it really means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, but because the left lived on it and because this is where they got their news from, this is they, they got lazy. They just followed Twitter. It became the be-all, end-all of uh, American public discourse. More than Facebook, more than anything else, it was Twitter. It's worth noting that DeSantis, unlike many elected Republicans, has never claimed the 2020 presidential election was rigged or stolen, and he rejected calls for a statewide audit of Florida's 2020 vote. It would have been preferable if DeSantis hadn't campaigned in these in the midterms for bona fide election deniers such as Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania and Kari Lake in Arizona, but that might be too much to expect of any Republican with aspirations for higher office. So he went out and campaigned for Kari Lake and Mastriano. That's bad news. By the low standards of today's GOP, though, a Republican who ignored Trump's 2020 belly aching is a step in the right direction. Again, this is this this is uh, Garrity, the never Trumper, essentially saying that Trump is. Uh, look, I'm telling you, Trump is going to run third party if he doesn't get the nomination. He's going to run, and DeSantis won't happen anyways. DeSantis, for all his pugnaciousness, colors inside the lines, operating within the traditionally defined powers of his office and the constitutional framework of government. In other words, again, read between this. He is establishment. He is safe. He's one of us. He's really safe. He's not somebody we can, we can, we can predict what DeSantis is going to do. He's not unpredictable like Trump. That was Trump's appeal. This is where all these people are missing it. DeSantis as governor, fine. DeSantis as president is going to be another George W. Bush. Guaranteed. One of the knocks against him is that he's too buttoned-down, business-like, even wonky. There might be some truth to that, but during his time as governor, the trade has translated into a strong interest in the day-to-day running of the state's executive branch. A DeSantis presidential candidacy would promise more order than the chaotic Trump administration and more direction than the run-by-subordinates Biden White House. So DeSantis is going to make... He's the buck stops with DeSantis. He's going to be Harry Truman. He's going to be Franklin Roosevelt. He's going to be Abraham Lincoln. He makes the calls. You see, this is what National Review wants. He's George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Read between the lines here. This is what they're saying. They don't like Trump because he's unpredictable, because they could not control him. A DeSantis's plausibility as a GOP presidential candidate rose over the past year. Progressives began raising an alarm that he would be worse than Trump. New York Times columnist Jamel Bowie, who had previously seemed to regard Trump only as a menace to the nation, wrote in September that, quote, Trump has the skills of a celebrity. He's funny. He has stage presence, and he has a kind of natural charisma. While DeSantis is meaner and more rigid, without the soft edges and eccentricity of the actual Donald Trump. Ah, so now Bowie, who I've talked about a lot on this podcast, I think he's wrong about so many things, but now DeSantis would be worse than Trump because Trump at least is a funny guy. DeSantis doesn't have any of that. You see, this is what really irritates, the, what irritated the left 
about Trump is that he was funny. He had charisma. People liked Trump. And why they like Trump, why they actually like Trump, is because it let them turn all the attention away from policy. And this is what Garrity is essentially saying. We could talk about policy with DeSantis. They think DeSantis would be more policy-oriented, and he'd ram all this stuff through, whereas Trump just kind of, Trump can be worked with. I'll just look into that. I'll do this. Whatever. It was just that they had an opportunity with Trump to bash his misspellings and tweets and everything else, and they could take all the focus away from something. This is the point Garrity's making, but it's also why the left likes Trump and why they do as much as they do around Trump. He irritates them. He gets under their skin. They can't forget about him. Putting aside the disorienting effect of seeing a progressive portray an almost cuddly Donald Trump in the service of bashing DeSantis, how true is it that liberals would find him worse than Trump? On the evidence from Florida, that isn't all clear. If you let the smoke clear from the high-profile fights over pandemic policies and parental rights and education, DeSantis emerges as a committed conservative, yes, but also one with some ideological wrinkles that those on the left might find surprising. In other words, he's like Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon said, you know, I've done all these things for the left. Why do they keep bashing me? Well, because they don't like you. As Governor DeSantis increased spending on environmental projects by $1.5 billion compared with the previous four years, he had the state legislature approved. He and the state legislature approved around $800 million to increase salaries and raise, uh, raises for teachers across Florida, boosting the average starting pay to at least $47,000 a year, ninth highest in the nation. DeSantis also launched a $100 million program for home purchases by educators, healthcare professionals, child care workers, law enforcement officers, firefighters, and veterans for active military, active members of the military. So look at all this money that he spends. He's just a moderate. He's just a liberal. He's doing all these centrist kind of things. You know what? Trump did all this stuff too. I mean, look, Trump got on board with lockdowns. Trump got on board with massive spending. Trump did all of that. He was on board with just about everything the left wanted to do. But because he was bombastic, they didn't like him. Even now and then, DeSantis takes a not-so-conservative path when it's popular with his constituents. That doesn't mean liberals will embrace him. It's just an observation that a DeSantis presidency would mean enduring four years of an inflexible, hardcore conservative. There would be occasional areas of agreement. There's no getting around the fact that nominating DeSantis would include some risk for the Republican Party. If DeSantis bested Trump for the GOP nomination, the former president could be counted on to claim fraud in the primaries. If Trump tries the same old I was Rob song and dance in the 2024 Republican primaries, some Trump loyalists undoubtedly would choose to believe it all. The MyPillow guy, the non-Fox News right-of-center news channels. But most Republicans are focused on ending the Biden-Harris era, and if DeSantis can prove he's the best person to accomplish that task, they'd back him. Few Republicans would want to fight a GOP civil war after the primaries, all because Trump's ego is so fragile that he can never admit he lost fair and square. Well, I mean, is that... As I've said in this podcast many times, we know there's some, some shenanigans going on out there. Mail-in voting is a big one. It's a big one. And so that's something that you know Florida has not allowed as much of. And look at the, at the results. Look at Arizona compared to Florida. In 2016, Hillary Clinton and her media allies were convinced that Trump would be the easiest Republican to beat in the general election. We saw how that worked out. More recently, though, Democrats cynically backed the Trumpiest wackos in the 2022 Republican primaries, despite constantly decrying the GOP as a threat to our democracy. And the strategy, strategy largely worked. Though, I saw a, a statistic somewhere that about 93% of the people Trump backed won. 
So, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't really this anti-Trump agenda that people make it out to be. But it's difficult to believe Democrats would again angle to force Trump in 2024. Maybe to truly and permanently put the Trump era of American politics behind us, Democrats will have to accept a slightly higher risk of a not-so-crazy Republican winning the general election. Considering the stakes, that doesn't seem like too much to ask. And again, Garrity's not counting on Trump to run third party, which I think he would do. In March 2000, the then Boston Celtics head coach Rick Pitino was enduring a disappointing season and vented his frustration about fans with unrealistic expectations for his young team in an infamous, exasperated rant. Larry Bird is not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale is not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through that door, they're going to be old and gray. Those on the left who see Trump as a menace to the Constitution and our system of government, moderate Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is not walking through the door. That door is a 2024 Republican presidential nominee. This is someone else. Larry Hogan. Got to have Larry Hogan. I mean, that would be just stupid. Departing Republican members of Congress, such as Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and Democratic heroes as Trump antagonists are not walking through that door. Liz Cheney could run third party. If Trump gets the nomination, I think Liz Cheney would run third party. See, I think this is what's going to ultimately happen. We're going to see a third party, a major third party candidate in 2024. I just, I'm telling you. And the Democrats are going to rally around Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's going to win again. Unless someone else bubbles up, the only real shot at not facing Trump you've got walking through the door is Ron DeSantis. And could Trump win? Yes, full stop. That might seem impossible after the GOP's midterms misfire and the Trump is done talk that followed. But it's a long time from November 8th to the first 2024 Republican primary. And the country knows too well after 2016 that there's no such thing as an impossible in, Amer- in American politics. If the Democratic nominee is Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, both of whom would arrive at the convention as damaged goods for a multitude of reasons, Plenty of voters would want to take a close look at DeSantis. Yes, he's conservative and can be combative, but he takes his job seriously, he picks his battles, and he focuses on results. In other words, he's not crazy. In fact, he's relatively normal. Again, when the National Review says you're relatively normal, you've got to be very cautious. All right, so that's my take on what's going to happen in 2024. Back in the saddle. See you three more times this week. See you again tomorrow. See you on The Brian McClanahan Show.